Lantern Podcast Episode 1, Wholesaling Your Handmade Goods. We interview Emily Arbor and talk about how to know when you're ready for wholesale. When you know that you're at a point that you can have systems for creating things in a, in a way that's sustainable and doesn't like suck the joy out of creating. When to contact stores. It's not necessarily about a first time you're when to get in contact, it's more about when not to. And how to prepare yourself to succeed at moving into wholesaling your handmade goods. Welcome to Lantern, the podcast where we shine a light on making it as a maker. I'm your host, Julianne Steedman, professional artist, mentor, and champion for makers. The Lantern podcast explores what it takes to be a maker, someone who creates beauty with their hands. We delve into how to create in a way that is sustainable and authentic, and dig deep into how to take your making and turn it into a successful creative business. Today we welcome Emily Arbor to the show. Emily is a true girl Friday. Introducing her feels sort of challenging because she's a multi-talented lady. She runs her own handmade shop, Cheerfully Made in Almont, Ontario, which is adorable by the way, and she just finished her 10th season of organizing handmade craft shows in the Ottawa area. Wait, I'm not done yet. On top of that, she runs a yearly retreat for makers, and she's the new talent curator over at Etsy Canada. Life goals, right? Emily, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Awesome. Can you give us a bit of background about how you got to be where you are today? My career started in advertising as a copywriter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived in Toronto. I'm, I'm from the town I'm in now. But I had moved away to Toronto to go to school for advertising and eventually got a job and met Brad, my husband, in Toronto. Um, but he's from where you, you're you from. He's from uh, Sudbury. So okay. um so he's a small town boy at heart. And after about five years of working in advertising, suddenly I just felt like that was not the career I wanted to be in. I, I loved writing, but at the same time, it just wasn't an environment that I loved. Like I've always, having grown up in a small town, I've always really prioritized those, you know, friendships and, and like intimate relationships with people. And the advertising industry just wasn't for me. So mm-hmm. I became um, suddenly very homesick and decided that I wanted to move back to Ottawa. So I gave my boyfriend at the time, my husband now, a bit of an ultimatum saying (laughs) that I needed to figure out how we were going to move back. He was working in marketing um, at the time for Canadian Tire. And we both had these great jobs. And I actually was just talking to my sister recently about how it's so much easier to make like big, crazy life decisions when you're younger yeah. because you just, you're kind of naive. And so, yeah, we both left these like amazing jobs and uh, moved back home to Ottawa, which wasn't home for him, but he was, he, um, <laughs> the, the criteria he gave me was I'll move to Ottawa if I can work in marketing and in professional sports and something charitable. It's <laughs> like, okay, so I'll get on that. Yeah. And fortunately, um, at that time, the Ottawa Senators were just coming out. Um, this was like 2005, I believe. Mm-hmm. They were coming out from um, a recent strike. And I knew a friend who worked for the Senators. And although it wasn't necessarily a marketing job, it was a sales job, which he absolutely hated. He <laughs> couldn't deny that I had done my best. So he, we moved <laughs> home and he started he working tried. with the and he's actually still working for the Sens, but um, with the foundation. So he's a director of marketing for the Ottawa Senators Foundation. So I've officially ticked all yeah. of those boxes, marketing, professional sports, 
and working for a charity, wow. specifically kids. So, so yeah, that's a whole other uh, podcast we can talk about manifesting <laughs> that stuff. <laughs> um, so I moved home thinking that I could have a freelance career as a writer, but here in Ottawa, it's a little drier. The scene's a little drier, and so yeah. um, there, you know, is a lot of government jobs and or government writing jobs and things like that, and it just wasn't. Um, you know, it just wasn't quite as glamorous as my career in Toronto. Um, and we were living downtown Ottawa at the time. My parents still lived in Elmont, which is about 30 minutes west of the city. And mm-hmm. that's where I grew up. And my dad had, on a whim, um, rented this space on the on um, Mill Street, which is our main downtown mm-hmm. core shopping district, um, with not much of a plan for it. He was sort of thinking uh, he might open an art gallery and an antique shop. That Those are sort of things that he's really interested in. And he asked me if I wanted to manage it for him and continue doing my writing sort of from the shop computer. Okay. So that was in 2007. Um, we opened a little shop called Blackbird and I asked him if I could sort of do my own, do a bit of my own thing with it and turn it into more of like a bit of a gift shop component. Yeah. And he said, sure, I don't care. Love it. <laughs> And um, a year later, I had completely turned it into a gift shop. It was called Blackbird, and I bought it from him um, a year later. And that was sort of my foray into retail and buying and managing and all that stuff. And um, I hired um, my first employee. Her name was Colleen. She actually owns a shop here in Elmont um, as well called Crush Marketplace. And she and I just shared a love of making we would host workshops in the store together and we thought one day we should host a craft show there's no good craft shows in Elmont Mm -hmm. we had those you know those standard small town church basement bazaar type things like little quilting and stuff like that we were like we know there's you know this is in the day and age of Etsy had had started and we knew there was better stuff out there so we decided that would be something we would do together Mm -hmm. and so I hosted my first craft show in um 2010 with Colleen and it just went from there at that point we had to like um we had to really seek people out because they didn't know sort of who we were we had a bit of a connection with people who knew me from the knew us from the shop yeah um but anyway yeah long story long I guess (laughs) that was our first show we had like 30 vendors and fast forward 10 years and we're like beating them away with the stick Colleen doesn't do shows with me anymore she had the good sense to um leave me (laughs) (laughs) to to sort of follow her own passions and her kids are about 10 years older than mine so she was sort of in this phase where she was like I need to spend more time with my kids before they're gone and so um from then from that point on I sort of did it on my own but I during that time that I had Blackbird I had both my kids and they're two years apart and Griffin was born who's my second when he was five months old I just sort of became overwhelmed with the reality of being a business owner and um, decided to sell the shop. So I sold it in 2011. We continued to do craft shows sort of in the off season. And then very shortly after I realized I have to work. I'm just a working person. I just really, um, yeah, I just couldn't, I just, I mean, I wasn't getting paid for a mat leave. So that was also part of a, part of the drive to, to work. But I've just always been a really, busy person and even though we were still doing two craft shows a year it just wasn't enough so two years after I sold Blackbird I opened um, Cheerfully Made which is sort of a brick and mortar extension of the craft shows yeah and that's really how it all and 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 really it just like 
exploded from there. And then you and I met early um, in 2013 when I opened Cheerfully Made. Etsy had a wholesale backend, so you could, mm. like, retailers could apply to purchase items from Etsy sellers who were prepared to do wholesale. So um, because I was a handmade-only store, and, and still am, um, I got on Etsy's radar as a, as a big buyer that I think they may have thought my shop was a lot bigger than it was because <laughs> I was buying so much. Um, and they did a blog post on me and on my shop and how I was supporting handmakers. And then I believe as a result of that blog post, I was um, re- uh, Etsy Canada when they launched the Etsy Made in Canada project, which is that craft show that you and I both put on. Mm-hmm. Um, they reached out to me as somebody who could be the Etsy team captain for Ottawa. And then it just sort of went from there. And And honestly, that was a major catalyst for getting me to where I am today in the relationships with makers and running retreats and all that stuff. So yeah. was that, <laughs> no, that's <laughs> great. I, I still need to figure out a way to say that in less words. But <laughs> that's, that's the gist of it. No, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and so, here we are today. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> so Emily's on the show today specifically so I can pick her brain about wholesale from mm-hmm. a maker's perspective. So if you've ever thought about selling your work in stores, she's the perfect person to share the inside scoop on this topic, as we've heard. So she's also a maker. You missed out in there talking about your candle company that you ran, Campy Candles. I sold Campy Candles in January of last year, so it's old Mm -hmm. news. (laughs) I started started making candles, Campy Candles, when... um, when Made in Canada, when Etsy Made in Canada started, because I knew I wanted to be able to teach makers how to use Etsy as a platform. And mm. I couldn't do that if I didn't have the experience doing it myself. So yeah. it was sort of like, again, like a bit of a happy accident. And then through having that candle company, I figured out the ins and outs of Etsy. But I also um, started to think about wholesale because I was making them for my shop. And, um, as a result, and as a result of doing shows was being reached out to by a lot of other stores who wanted, um, to carry them. And then I had to figure out how to wholesale. And that's sort of, again, why, why I sort of know wholesale from a buyer's as well as a maker's perspective. Exactly. That's why I think you have a very (laughs) unique perspective because you've done. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So I guess I start with how does a maker know when they're ready to actually wholesale their products? I think there's a few ways. Um, first of all, I think like doing craft shows is such an important part of being a maker. Um, you know, being on the ground and listening to what people uh, want or what they're going to pay for things or if they would prefer it in a different color or a different scent or mm-hmm. whatever, just getting that feedback. But um, I think the the number one way, you know, is is when people start asking you for your stuff. Can they buy it in stores or, or having shops approach you at these shows or online um, asking if you are able to sell to retailers. So, um, that's one of the ways, but another even more important way is when you know that you're at a point that you can have systems for creating things in a, in a way that's sustainable and doesn't like suck the joy out of Hmm. creating. So for instance, when it came to me and my candles, you know, once I had figured out where I was going to source, um, the materials like the wax and the fragrance at, at, costs like that I could buy them in bulk but purchasing those those things 
in at wholesale prices so that I could then resell them. That is something I think a lot of makers don't consider. They get asked by a shop if they'll carry their stuff, they get too excited and they just say like, yes, I can do it. And they, they start making their scrunchies or whatever out of out of materials that they're buying at a retail price. And so they cut the margin out for themselves. More importantly, they're not paying themselves for their time necessarily. People don't seem seem to like value their time. But Mm. if you're going to be a real, a really sustainable business, then then that's something that you need to you yeah, really need important. to consider. Yeah. So so that I would say, like you know, hearing from people that they want your stuff, number one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also that you know you can source your products and create in a way that doesn't, yeah, totally make you stop enjoying what what it is that you're doing. Or yeah. that would be my my main ones. That's, so what kind of benefits are there then for? the maker and the shop owner when it comes to wholesale? So for the maker, I feel like wholesaling is a great way to keep your business rolling all year long. You know, there's craft Mm -hmm. show seasons. We all know that like Christmas is our season, obviously. Um, Some products are more suitable like or or do quite well in the spring. But in general, I find spring shows are even just like really hit and miss. So when you when you're wholesaling, you're able to like fill in those blanks of time when you're not making that that revenue that income and so I think that that is that is one of the benefits um it's also like a just a great other source of feedback on your products constantly you know hearing from you know seeing as a result of um the sales that shops are having what items what what trends are happening, um, what items are selling more at different times and getting that feedback all year long. That's really true. And also, I think that one of the real like keys to my own personal success has been my my background in advertising and marketing. And I think that when you, um, you know, any skill that you're exercising constantly, just, you know, that's how you get better at things. And I feel like when you're when you're wholesaling, you're really learning how to exercise your marketing and your business muscles all year long yeah. and have, um, you know, just just thinking of your your business as a business. And yeah. I think that that's, the, that's a really great benefit to makers. Um, I know it's hard for makers because you need to, um, we're talking about wholesale, I know, and there, and you can also consign your work. I prefer wholesale just from a, you know, thinking of your yourself as a business standpoint, yeah. but Sometimes it's very hard for for makers to wholesale because you are taking a cut of your product. So it's something that I think, um, you know, if if wholesale is a way that you want to go, then it's something think start considering it as early on in your in your um, making career as possible when you're looking at sourcing products and that kind of thing, packaging all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But for shop owners, I love working with makers because. They create such good content for me. I, I can build a relationship with makers. I can, you know, they're promoting me. If I'm buying a product, you know, a made in China product, as I used to in my in my former shop, which yeah. was more of sort of a home sensey feeling kind of store, I have zero relationship with the suppliers. They're not doing any work for me. Yeah. You know, like I buy it and that's it. The yeah. relationship ends there. But with makers, if I nurture these relationships, they're going to be promoting that I'm carrying their work. They're going to be creating content like beautiful photos that I can ask for permission to share. And I just like there's such strength in those relationships. We I really invest um, in in those relationships and they invest in me because by doing so, we both uh, have greater success. I sell more. They sell more to me. That kind of thing. Yeah. 
So how do people typically contact you uh, to have you consider carrying their products in your store? Uh, well, they contact me in all sorts of ways, but they're, some are doing it right and some are doing it wrong. <laughs> okay, just give us the ones that are doing it right. <laughs> this is a really good question yeah. and something that is really important. Um, so email is my favorite. Okay. I absolutely... Like I, I just, I'm actually not in the shop on, at the, at the front very much anymore. So I'm not the one that's answering the phone, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's, that's just me though. So some shops, you know, might, the owner might be there, but assume that they're busy because there's a lot going on. Even if it's like, I, you know, I live in a very small town and even if we have a really, really quiet day, I'm, I've got my head in my bookkeeping. I'm working on my marketing. I'm maybe taking photos. I might be cleaning off the hold shelf, like whatever, just I'm even though it might not seem like we're busy, we're always yeah. mentally busy. So I hate being, and maybe it's also just this day and age where I don't talk on the phone all that much anymore either. Yep. So I think that email is definitely the, the best. Um, please do not reach out on social media and um, like on going and in, popping into my DMS on Facebook or Instagram because yeah. it's very hard. I can only use in Instagram. I can only use my thumbs to reply. You can't do that <laughs> on a desktop. Yeah. And it's like, if you really want me to get into it, I can't like, I just, it's such a turnoff. What I love is when people, um, well, like just my, you'll, everyone's email is out there in some capacity go find it. Yeah. <laughs> Figure it out. Um, it, at the, you know, you can ask for an email, um, on, in a direct message if you'd like, but don't say much, just say like, Hey, I really would like to reach out to you. Can I ask for your, what's the best email for me to direct my line sheet to or something like yeah. that. And then you get the email, um, or send an email and then follow up in a direct message and say like, Hey, just, um, uh, just wanted to let you know, I sent you an email. Would love you to look for it. Like yeah. that's it. That doesn't don't require a question. Yeah. Don't ask what's the best way for me to get a, a, like for me to send you stuff. Like just just do it. Yeah, <laughs> just go for it. Um, I yeah, I definitely don't want a phone call. So an email um, is just the number one way to get a hold of me because I can flag it, I can organize it, I don't lose it. I I actually like I have a lot of um, anxiety about the DMs that I have not yet replied to because I feel like oh, that person thinks I'm a jerk now or that yeah. I'm ignoring them. But I really just don't even know where it is anymore. And there's it's just, just gone. I think when there's Facebook and social media, <laughs> like it's just, just too many to keep up with. Yeah. Whereas an email is there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if I'm doing a really great job on my social media, like like posting stories that people are engaging with, I'm getting like dozens of comments in my DMs just about that, yeah. you know, saying like, oh, I love that shirt. Where's it from? Or like, or how much is it? Or how, <laughs> yeah. can I, you know, to my customers. So when it's a business, really, I like to leave my, my social media for your customers, the marketing to my paying customers, yeah. not to do business in, in another way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So email. Like a jerk. No, not at all. No, no. You sound <laughs> like a business person and that's, that's okay, good. good. Yeah, you know, of yourself as a business person. Yeah. <laughs> so do you suggest people send you samples or just an email with their information? Well, everybody loves samples. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> nothing. Having the actual product in your hand is is different than a picture Sometimes, of it. Sometimes, but... yeah, yes, that's true. Sometimes, um, but I think that a good way to start is just by email with with the pertinent information. I don't want. It would be great if you could send me an email, and I don't even need to reply with additional questions because mm. that's going to stop me. Yeah. Um, I want to have a quick introduction. It's a 
bonus if you can imply that you know my shop personally and you know you're confident you'd be a good fit for whatever reason like yes for instance my shop is called cheerfully made so we have lots of like bright colors and fun you know it's very light and and not serious and so you know like if you were to write and say like hey we've got these like I know you you do your colorful maps that we carry and it's like we feel like this would be a great fit for you and actually we do an Almont map like just a little something that's a hook that makes me feel like the person did this is not a mass email. Yeah. Um, you know, my shop, you understand the price points and that's easy information to get. Just go online, find the website, look for other, um, other brands that I carry to make sure that I'm not like, you know, we already carry three lines of candles. So maybe it's not worth your time or, or maybe you, you write something different in the email. That's like, Hey, we know you carry three lines of candles, but here's what makes ours different. So when you do have room on your shelf, we'd love to be considered. Yes. You know, yeah, like little things like that, that tell me like, Hey, this person has done a little bit of the work for me and identifying that. Yeah. These probably would sell. Um, and then in that email, so I, I want a little introduction um, but not, don't make it long, please. I don't want to scroll. Like, it's just too much. Yep. I can't like, you know, just think of the way that you read an email. You want like one paragraph yeah. and then please find it attached my catalog and line sheet and here's how to order. Yep. So that just in sense. case I'm feeling it, like if it's Christmas holidays right now, my family just went for a walk and if I get an email and this product looks cute, maybe I'll sit down and place an order right now if I can, rather than being like, can you send me your line sheet? And then yeah. the, the moment has passed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so put it all out there. Um, but as far as samples go, like, yeah, like maybe send that email. And then if you want, if, if your product is conducive to sending a sample, that's always cute. But sometimes for me, it doesn't, for some reason, it doesn't really help me make an order. I don't yeah. know why. I love getting free stuff, but, but sometimes it almost feels like it's trying too hard mm, or yeah. I don't, you don't, I don't need a sample. No, it's better to get an email that has exactly what you want. The person has done their research. Yeah. That feels better. We're working on this, um, in the beta group for this, for this wholesale course. And a lot of people are sort of, there's a whole section on crafting that outreach email. And one thing that I've realized in creating it, and I'm so glad that I did this beta version because it made me realize what's missing is that although you don't want to bung up anybody's email by including like a ton of JPEGs of your products. You kind of want it to be a single, a single PDF or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still kind of nice to have like one image that pops up in the email. So like a beautiful shot of your map on a wall, like just before your signature or something like that. Or, you know what I mean? Like something that draws more attention. We don't want a lot of um, attachments because that just like clogs up the works of the inbox but like a little graphic or a little something that sort of it could honestly eye. even be your logo but like a yeah a picture a beautiful picture of a product or something like that just makes me want to click more that's yeah. not just text because we're very it's we're very visual yeah. and and handmade products are usually lend themselves well to beautiful lifestyle photos that kind of thing yeah totally so yeah. what do you feel is a preferred time of year for people to get in contact then? Yeah. When you're doing wholesale, it's, it's, it's not as much a preferred time of year to get in contact. It's more about when not to contact. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and that's something that I'm working on right now too, as part of this course is to do like a calendar of like perfect times to reach out for like, for instance, I'm buying my Christmas stuff in August, September. Yeah. 
And especially when it's handmakers, it, I mean, you know your product best. If you can make it quickly, that's great. But if, if yours is a slow good, like a yeah. like hand-embroidered wall art or macrame or something like that, um, then you need to decide, like, how quickly, like, what if you get a bunch of orders? Can you fulfill them? So you need to have enough lead time. Um, so, yeah, it's more important that you know the t- times of year that are inappropriate, like, let's say like second third week of december like yeah. don't bother if anything <laughs> december it's at all, turn off because it's like this person yeah this person is not um being very sensitive to like not very understanding of where i'm at at this time of year yeah um that said like early january is fine but but always acknowledging like hey we know you just probably had a crazy season and you you know like times are getting slower but consider stocking up for spring like that yep. kind of thing or or you know just tail yeah you have to be thoughtful about the this outreach so it's like we get it your budget is probably you know like you probably don't have a lot of money um at this time of year because it's slower so we've put together um a small 250 dollars order um of our best sellers just so you have something fresh on the shelves for your valentine's day customers mm-hmm. like yeah think of all of those things yeah, and that's, that's what I'm trying to work it. on right now with with um like you know father I oh as a as a seller I always forget about Father's Day, I always Mother's Day even sneaks up on me like all of those little things that, um, that you could be using as topics for outreach. You had a great display of Father's Day products in your store last year. I was in there last year around Father's well, Day. Did I go? Yeah, well, when you first walked in, it was really, really lovely. That together. Yeah. <laughs> It was. I remember. I was That's there at that time. Probably my staff. Yeah. No. Th- yeah. I know. Well, we can we can make anything work. But it's it's just like knowing your product and who's buying it by by doing your craft shows and things like that. You know who your customer yeah. is, um, and thinking like when are they buying? When are they? You know that kind of thing. That's true. So, so yeah, it's not necessarily about a per- preferred time of year when to get in contact. It's more about when not to. Yeah. Yeah. So you spoke briefly earlier about pricing. Um, mm-hmm. So should you include a suggested retail price like in your? Or- um, I think it's, yeah, it's pretty professional to do that. I think um, how, that, much, how much does a shop typically mark an item up? So a, if it's a wholesale, a shop, the shop has to mark it up a minimum of times two. So 50% yeah. and ideally 2.2 to 2.5 to cover things like shipping and overhead and that kind of thing. And I know that sounds like a lot for wholesalers but it's just the reality like it's very expensive to sell products overhead is crazy so so when it comes to giving me a suggested retail price I I like it as a retailer because I also kind of want to know that you're not undercutting me at least by a lot at craft shows so so I think if you know if you decide to do wholesale you just got to go for it so for instance um if you're selling me a bar of soap for $4, I'm going to sell it for 8 And I would really like it if you would be selling it at craft shows also for 8 Yeah, that makes You sense. can do things like show specials, like, you know, buy three for 20 or something like that. That's yep. fine. But once you get into wholesale and you're working with retailers, you don't want to undercut them. No, Those I- are going to be your bread and butter throughout the year. And you can have show deals, but I want the, the retail prices to essentially be the same. That makes so sense. that's sort of when you give me a suggested retail price, I'm assuming that's what you're also retailing for. So I do like having that. Um, it's really nice if there's a bit of a range. Like so it's, for instance, when I would sell my candles, it would be like I would sell them for nine um, as a wholesale price. Yeah. 
I retailed them at shows for 18 or two for something, whatever. Yeah. But my suggested retail price was 18 to 22 because I know some boutiques have just a higher end clientele. Yeah. And I think that retailers, well, I know that retailers appreciate that little bit of wiggle room because then it allows us to um, have have sales or promotions ourselves in store, cut, you know, cover yeah. any cost of shipping that we've incurred or, you know, if something sits on the shelf or like gets damaged or whatever, we have a little bit of room where we're not losing money mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. That makes sense. So, so yeah. you kind of talked in there a little bit about my, my last question was about shipping. Oh, yeah. So does it normally the store covers the cost of the shipping or would that fall on the maker? Uh, it it totally falls on the store. Okay. So it's just like your customers on Etsy or on your web store, like they pay for the shipping. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, so that's why it's nice to have a little bit of a, a, a buffer, um, like a little bit of a room in the margin there for it. Yeah. Um, but this is all, this all goes back to, to marketing and branding really is that even though the shop is covering your, the shipping, it's nice if you make it like a nice round number. Like for instance, I, it depending on where you're shipping. When I would ship, like, let's say a box of 36 candles, sometimes it would cost me $18. Sometimes it would cost me $22, sometimes whatever. And I, I would t- tend to round it. Like I would, you know, and sometimes I would, I would make a little bit of money on the shipping. Cause you have to also consider the cost of your box, the cost of yep. the time to put it together, the cost of any breakage that might happen or whatever. So I would, um, make it like a round number that I knew it was covering any of those like shipping and handling stuff. But I always hate as a retailer paying for shipping for handling. Like what the heck? Yes. Don't inc- I hate when somebody yes. says shipping and handling this much. What? No, no, it needs to be shipping. it's just part of doing business. But so don't mention it. You can still charge it, but don't make it a line item. Yeah. No, no, that <laughs> um, makes sense. but it's nice sometimes like if I feel like I've paid a lot for shipping if um, the maker offsets it a bit by maybe including like a bonus item, like a free tester or a new mm-hmm. product that I didn't order so that it, inter- so it's like, it, I, I feel like that also doubles as a marketing expense to the maker. So yeah. I have like a, a soap supplier who always sends me a new scent of soap that I didn't order in every order. And we kind of like love it. I can give it to my staff as like a little perk yeah, or can do a little giveaway. introduces me to yeah. a new product that I might order next time. That's smart. And that kind of thing. So just like little things like that, like no, nobody, customer, retailer, whoever, everybody hates you on the other end, hate paying for shipping. So if you can find a way where it doesn't feel exorbitant and also is like, you know, a little nice perk for the yeah. maker, but you don't have to do that either. You no, just, no. as long as your shipping is pretty fair. Yeah. I would, I, I recommend spending some time figuring shipping out, like whether, it's, um, you know, the size, like I learned not very long ago that the depth of a box, you know, affects the price more so than the weight or the width, any other dimension. So huh. like there's little things, even just going to your post office or doing some research online and yeah. asking questions at a not busy time can be really valuable. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So. <clears throat> Emily has just launched yes. her or is about to launch her first online course called Wholesale for Handmakers. So can you tell us a bit about your course? Oh, I would just love to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so awesome. So this is something that I've been working on for a very long time, like like almost two whole years because I get asked how to get, like I get asked by makers constantly, how can yep. I sell my stuff in your shop? 
And so I have put together an entire guide that is like the everything you need to know course for mastering the art of wholesale and making more money. Perfect. Um, and not having to depend on craft shows or, and also sometimes craft shows are horrible. Like you don't know what you're getting into. No. No. Well, you got to go by <laughs> feedback and yeah, like a, exactly. It's not like you can, you can say like, I know I'm going to make a thousand dollars at every craft show I do this year. So, so that's, that's, I just think it's a really good compliment for, there are so many people now who want to take their businesses full time. And I just don't believe that you're going to do that by just doing craft markets. I mean, yeah. some people do, but it's, it's just a lot a way of to work. Be more sustainable. So, so I have spent the last two years getting brave enough to write this course, but then also to actually doing it. And we're in the beta um, testing mode. Um, I've had 13 students just complete the course. So it's going to be launching later this month in January. Awesome. And it's everything from... Wholesale basics, starting with preparing your business for wholesale. So do you need an HST number? How do you charge taxes? Um, do you need to be incorporated? How do you get a business name? What if somebody already has your business name? All of that stuff. So all the things that you wish you knew before you started, but it's still there's still time yep. um, to pricing for wholesale. So how do you even begin to figure out how to price your items? Um so that you're being paid for not only your products, but your time and then testing that product pricing so that you can maybe even make more room for it. So I'm not just saying like if it literally costs you $4 to make a print, then you should sell it for eight. Well, I want, I, I'm going to teach you how to like look at it and be like, okay, well I only need to make eight, but I know this will sell for 12. So mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a whole psychology part of that, uh, a part of it. Um, packaging your product for your sale for sales packaging for wholesales and then this is one that i'm reworking right now which is why it's not launched yet is um the module four is preparing your toolkit so it's like creating your um your line sheet and your catalog but also your terms and conditions so that you're covered legally if somebody starts like you know i just had a, a horrible story of a vendor who um sells her product to a shop the shop sold it so well they decided to start making it themselves and just cut her out and so you know protecting yourself from those type of things all yeah. the stuff you you just all the stuff that makes it gross like that you don't want to deal with, yeah. with because all, you're a creative person <laughs> but so I'm kind of giving you all of those all of those things pre-made and you can just fill them in yourself um we even have like email outreach templates for you to use it's just like everything you could possibly need to know um and then crafting your plan of attack so how are you going to get into those shops making that list of shops um that you outreach and then the final uh, module is maintaining momentum and growing your stockist so how do you keep doing this in a way that is sustainable and keeps you making money, but also maybe makes more money next year. So yeah. it's kind of everything from A to Z. And um, that sounds amazing. I am really excited to be launching it. I'm also really nervous about it because um, I am like 100% self-taught, but maybe that's the best way to learn anyways. But as we started <laughs> off at the very beginning, you have a, the perfect perspective yeah. because you have experience with the most important parts mm -hmm. of both of those. So I think it's going to be, it sounds well. Yeah. It sounds amazing. I'm excited. I'm yeah. super excited about it because all I really want is for people to be able to make a living being creative and doing the things that they love. But I don't, I hear way too many stories about people who like dive headfirst um, into wholesale because they've been approached by shops and then they, I don't know if it's 
they don't necessarily intentionally get taken advantage of by these stores, but we're all just looking out for ourselves. So you need to be prepared when you're going into these situations with everything that you need for you both to be successful, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's you. so fun. It's so fun to be able to like keep going and maybe hire people and just grow and evolve. So I well, think you're this taking is, it and changing. Yeah. It's growing into like a real sustainable business. Then exactly. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's been lovely. You're having so welcome. You. Thank you. Wonderful. The show notes from this episode are at lanternpodcast.com forward slash zero one. And I'll include a link to Emily's wholesaling for handmakers course. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd be grateful if you would leave a review at iTunes or wherever it is that you choose to listen. We welcome feedback and questions. I would love to hear from you. Send them to feedback at lanternpodcast.com.